You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. First Samuel, if we could turn to chapter 21, First Samuel chapter 21, we'll dig on in. I bring you greetings from Manchester, England. I got a chance to go to Manchester United Stadium right there. It was incredible. Someone told me I was uh, at the best football club in the world. But when I told that to some of the brothers, that started a fight right there. So I'll just say I went to Manchester United football field and had a great time. I don't want to get myself into a fight right there. Now, what was interesting about the stadium is they had all kind of religious slogans on up there, Man United this, and the heaven of Man United, and the grace of God of Man United, and all that. And the only person I could think of was Sean Corrigan at that moment. And, uh, you know, Sean Corrigan's got his hand up in the air. He is a true northerner, I guess you would say. And uh, yet it was just powerful to walk down the city, uh, the streets of Manchester, and see all the young people, all the campus students there, uh, how powerful uh, God really has put this city in a position where there's so many, uh, so many students that come from all around the world to come to Manchester. And uh, I long for the day we have a great church there. Uh, Stuart and Leslie, of course, Stuart works for Man United, the football club. He sends his warm greetings. Leslie sends her warm greetings. Be praying for them. They want to join us, guys. Uh, it's going to be one of two things. They'll either move down and be with us here, or they will start the Remnant Group in Manchester, and we, by faith, will be planting a church in Manchester, England, to God's glory. Amen. <laughs> now, I got a chance to go to Ryland's, Hop, Ryland's uh, uh, library right there, and it was great because I got a chance to see one of the fragments of the Bible, uh, John chapter 18. Uh, I got a chance to spend time with... Uh, of course, our sister Sandra, she drove us all around the city, and she was just excited and showing us this part and that part. And she goes, right over here is where the brothers' houses were, and right over there is where me and Sean fell in love. And, and I was like, oh, my goodness. And he says, yeah, we fell in love. And it, it just was a great time uh, being with our sister. She's been so faithful, uh, so committed, and, and so special right there. Uh, I love the Corrigans, and uh, who knows, by faith someday they could be on a mission team back to Manchester. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 21. <clears throat> I've just uh, entitled the lesson today, Fighting the Lord's Battle. Why? David fought many battles, but what made him special is he fought the Lord's battle. He didn't fight his own agenda. He, didn't, he wasn't doing his own thing. He was fighting the Lord's battle. Now, we need to be praying for our brother Dale. Uh, of course, his father's going through a tough time. Dale will be going back to uh, his hometown uh, to really study the Bible with, with his, his father uh, to fight the Lord's battle. Uh, as his father battles his very life, our brother Dale is, is really going to be fighting the Lord's battle, trying to not only be there to comfort his father, but also to help him become a true disciple. That, that's fighting the Lord's battle right there. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 21 says this, David went to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Now, if you've been visiting, if you're visiting, we've been studying out 1 Samuel. And of course, David has done some incredible things. Right here, we come to a po point where he's, he's running from Saul. He's fleeing from Saul. And he comes to the priest and the priest says, what are you doing alone? I mean, he's freaked out. He's scared that David may be going to do something to him. And, and David is very tricky right here 
David says this in verse 2. He says, he answered Ahimelech, the priest, the king, charged me with a certain matter and said to me, no one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Right here, David isn't necessarily being forthright with all the information right here. What we do know is he's really lifting up Saul, who he has a problem with because Saul is pursuing him unrighteously. And that is kind of a foreshadowing of Satan. He pursues you whether you're, it, it doesn't matter. He just wants to go after you. Are you with me here? And yet David does something very powerful. He doesn't curse King Saul, even though King Saul is out to kill him. He tells the priest, well, Saul sent me on a secret mission. But he makes it very clear. He says, Saul sent me. And that, that gives the, the, the priest a peace in his heart. Because in verse 4 it says, the priest answered David, I don't have any uh, ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some of the consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves pure, kept themselves from women. So right here, David says, listen, I'm hungry. And when you've been fighting the Lord's battle, you get a little bit hungry right there. Brothers, get an amen? I think sisters, amen, too. I've seen some of the sisters. They can eat as well right there. And we, we all get a little hungry. And right here, David goes, goes outside. Uh, God allows David to go outside of custom here and eat the showbread. That was only for the priests. Uh, now, here's the interesting thing. After they eat the showbread in verse 7, it says, Now, one of Saul's servants was there that day. Now, remember, Saul is against David. And one of Saul's top guys, dare we say a remnant guy here, Doeg the Edomite is there watching and seeing David with the priests. And the Bible says, one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, do you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was urgent. Right there again, he says, Basically, he's trying to say, Saul sent me right here. But we know Saul really didn't send him. He's running from Saul. And then the Bible says in verse 9, the priest replied, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, there's none like it. Give it to me. <laughs> I mean, that would fire you on up right there. He gets the sword of Goliath, and we know what happened with Goliath. He cut his head off. Yet there wasn't just one Goliath. There were several Goliath David had to deal with. We knew that when we studied our last time right here. And we come to a very interesting point right here that we've got to really make a, a very, very, very powerful, powerful transition to. Number one, as a Christian, you've got to fight the Lord's battle. Uh, all throughout the Bible, uh, it, it, it's all about really fighting God's battle and not fighting your own battle. Now, you don't fight the battle of the Lord alone. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3 says God is with you right there. Verse 3 through 5. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20 says, hey, when you go out and make disciples, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You never fight the battle alone. You've always got God. Psalms chapter 46, verse 1 says God is an ever-present in time of need. So it's, it's, it's kind of my job this morning to persuade you to fight the Lord's battle, to be like David, to, to, to fight the battle for God. Now, don't get your own agenda mixed up in there. D don't get your own battle mixed up in there. And if you do, come back to how God wins battles and fight the way that David fought. There's a lesson to learn in this, this first chapter. Verse 21, we see that David eats the showbread. He eats the showbread. That was only for the priest. That's a foreshadowing 
of the grace of God. Look at Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Jesus referenced this thing here. David wasn't completely honest. Jesus gave him a very, 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 very encouraging statement as he talked about David. Matthew chapter 12, we'll pick it up in verse 3. Of course, Jesus went through the grain fields with, uh, on the Sabbath, and the disciples were hungry, and so they started picking some of the, some of the grains, and the Pharisees get critical. They say, look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. This is doing time. See, it's in the Bible. See, 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 see. see. Legalist. Verse 3, he answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? Right here, it confirms Jesus was behind what David did. He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would have not have come, you would have not condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And the church said, this is the battle for the grace of God. David and his men did not deserve to eat that showbread. They, they shouldn't, it, it even could be argued it was unlawful and he wasn't even completely honest. You know, some people... Talk about situational ethics right here. Right here, David just was not honest. And yet God still blessed his, his, his heart because he was hungry and he was, he was running and he was trying to do the best he could. And yet we understand as Christians, we don't deserve to even be saved. We don't deserve the bread of life. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve the movement. We don't deserve disciples. We don't deserve anything. It is by grace that you are saved. And yet we've got to fight the battle of being a people of grace, a people of mercy. Are you known for being merciful? Are you known for being a man or a woman of grace? As God allowed David to eat the showbread with his men, it was a sign of grace. No different than Jesus allowing his disciples the opportunity to eat that, the, the, those grains of, of wheat right there. It was God saying, I, I, I know, listen, I put care over confrontation. We need to be a people that understands that mercy triumphs over judgment. Are you with me there? Chapter 22. Chapter 22. We know what happens here. We read it last time. In chapter 22, in verse 1 through 5, the Bible talks about David going to the cave of Adalom. And, of course, the Bible just says he goes to the cave of Adalom, and there all the, those who were in distress, discontented, and bitter, they joined him. How'd you like to have that for a place membership? <laughs> you get a brother and he joins you and he's bitter. <laughs> you get a sister, she joins. Bit, well, there weren't no sisters right there, so it was all the men. So we just got to take this one on the chin, brothers. All the men that joined were in distress, discontented, and they were bitter. And yet David, the Bible says David became their leader. Why? Because David was a godly man. It takes a godly man to lead a bunch of people that are in distress, discontented, and bitter. If I look at the world, I see a lot of people that are in distress, discontented, and are bitter. And you've got to be a godly man, a godly woman to lead them. It is your job as a Christian to be a godly man to lead people out of those sins into the cave of the kingdom of God right here. 
And th this is our challenge, to have the heart of David, to lead people out of these sins. The world is bitter at God. The world is bitter at God. The, wor the entire world is bitter at God. How do I know? People, they don't even question him. They, 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 they question whether he even is alive. They question whether there is a God. I mean, it's like sitting on the branch of a tree and arguing that I don't believe in trees. I don't believe, you're sitting on a branch of a tree arguing, I don't believe in trees. You better be careful that branch didn't break <laughs> and your life ends. We've got to imitate David as he led everyone here. We've we, we, we got to fight the battle of bitterness, fight the battle of godlessness that's out there in the world. This, this is, and it, you've got to be godly yourself to lead people out of it. And the Bible just says David did it. But then we pick it up here in verse 7. It says this, chapter 22. Saul said to them, Listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse, and of course that's David, give, give you fields and vineyards? Will he make all of your command, will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you have all conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. No one, none of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie in wait for me for me as he does today. Saul right here is preaching what I call prosperity gospel. He, he's preaching none, none of you. See, he, he's using bribery to build his church. Got to give you this. Got to give you that. Got to give you this. Got to give you that. And this is not the kingdom of God. It's one of the battles we got to fight. There are many churches that teach you. You become Christian, you're going to get all this money. You're going to get all this stuff. Become, it, 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 that, that is not the kingdom of God. That's a TV show. That is not the church that God built. Jesus died with absolutely nothing, not even the clothes. The Bible says when, after they killed him, they divided up his clothes. He died with literally nothing. The first century brothers and sisters, they died with nothing. The church is not about building up our own personal thing right here and, and prosperity gospel. And that's kind of the heart of Saul right here, what he could give people and what they could get. From him, You know, we got to be careful that we don't think the church is there to give us something. we got to be careful that we don't believe the church is there to give us something. we, we got to fight that battle as Christians. And know that, hey, we're, we're to give God our lives until we go to heaven. Are you with me there? Check this out in verse 9. It says, but Doeg the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's officials, said, ha, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, son of Ahitab at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and a sword of Goliath, the Philistines. Then the king sent for the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, and his father's whole house, whole family, who were priests at Nob. And they all came to the king. Saul said, listen now, son of Ahitub. Yes, my lord, he answered. Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse, of course, that's David giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today. Stop right there. Did not David say that he was on behalf of the king? He did. Did Doeg say that? No, oh, Doeg was very smart. Doeg failed to, to disclose the fact that David said he went there on a mission for the king. Who was the king? King Saul. Now, we know David was running, but even in the midst of him running from an unrighteous leader, he still was righteous. 
See, you've always got to be righteous no matter what, 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 what people are doing. But Doeg omits part of the, You know, one of the most powerful ways to deceive is to sandwich a lie in between two truths. That's what Doeg was smart. He took his lie and put it in between two things that were true. David did go to the priest. They, they, he did give him the sword. He did not tell that little bit of a lie, which is omitting part of the truth. He didn't say that David went there on behalf of the king. Guess what Saul does? Respond, oh, I do not care. Jumps to conclusions, and now he wants to, he wants to, he wants to go after David. You know, you've got to fight the battle of hearing only half the story. Saul heard half the story, and we find out what he did. Verse 14, Ahimelech answered the king, who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, son captain of your bodyguard, and highly respected in your household? Saul doesn't listen. Verse 17, then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were not willing to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Stop right there. These guys feared God more than they feared man. You've got to fight the battle of the fear of God. All we're going to talk about today is just fighting different battles as a Christian. And you've got to fight the battle of the fear of the Lord. Do you fear God? I'm not talking about like he's like, oh. I'm talking about out of respect, out of honor. Do you, does the fear of God motivate you? I put before you, the fear of God's being dismantled in this world. People don't fear God. They don't fear him. The fear of God doesn't stop them. The Bible says it is the fear of God that stops us from sinning. It doesn't say science stops us from sinning. It doesn't say history stops us from sinning. It is the fear of God that stops us from sinning. These people here, they, they go, no, we're not going to do that one. We'd rather get in trouble with you than go against the Lord. They feared God. Are you in a church that preaches the fear of God? Are you in a movement that preaches the fear of God? Are you in a Bible talk that preaches the fear of God? Are you, do you, are, are you following a leader that lives in fear of the Lord? Th th this, is, this is awesome to fear God. Because when you fear God, you fear nobody else. It's awesome when, when the only one you really fear is God. And, and that, that is my greatest fear. I don't want to mess up with God. I am sinful. I am prideful, deceitful, argumentative. I, I rely on myself. I struggle with lust, pride, all kinds of different sins. I do not want to be in trouble with God. I've gotten in trouble with God before. I don't know if you've ever gotten in trouble with God. God has all these incredible, tailor-made, awesome ways to disciple you. He has just figured out how to nail you. He is awesome. He knows what people to send in your life. He knows how to do it. He knows what problem to make come on you. He knows exactly how to get you ticked off. He knows exactly how to make you lonely enough to turn to him in prayer. He knows exactly what scriptures will nail you. He knows that person to send you away. He knows how to get you going. I don't want to be in trouble with God. <laughs> I don't like that. I don't like it. it. It's not a, I mean, I, I have children. And let me tell you something, you know, uh, they're, they're hilarious. My, my kids are hilarious. I mean, little Mia Grace, she, she's two and a half years old. She thinks she's 15. You know, she, she's already doing the Azonto. I, I don't, you know, she, she's just, Daddy, I want you to, she's, she knows how to dance. She knows all this stuff. But let me tell you one thing she knows. She knows the fear of the Lord. She knows it. Michael Adrian, he as well, he knows the fear of the Lord. 
They both know it. I teach them to be obedient to me because the Bible teaches they are to be obedient. I teach them right and wrong because the Bible teaches them. I want to anchor my kid's soul to the scriptures. You want to lose your kids? Tell them to do right and wrong because of you. But if you tell them to do right and wrong because thus saith the Lord, they'll grow up to go, I, I got to do what the Lord says. Are you with me right here? You've got to fight the battle of fearing God. We've got to be a church that fears God. We've got to be a church that, that, that we, we go, I, I don't want to come late. I don't want God to, I want to be there. Not, not out of like, like this, but out of reverence, out of awe. Like, wow, I want to be with my father, my family. I don't want to come 15 minutes late to church. I want to come early. I want to fellowship. I want to talk to the Christians, find out what they're learning, what they're studying. I want to get some insight. Every single Christian in this room has the Holy Spirit in them. Every single Christian in this room is valuable. You are valuable. You are God's appeal to the world. We've got to fight the battle, guys, of fearing the Lord. The world doesn't fear God. They, doesn't, they don't fear God. These guys did. <laughs> they go, we're not going to do that. We fear God. You guys still with me here? Check this one out. Verse 18. The king then ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men, women, its children, and infants, its cattle, donkey, and sheep. But Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, son of Ahadu, escaped and fled to join David. Wow. What an intense story. You always find somebody who's wanting to fight the battle of power and recognition. That was Doeg the Edomite. He wanted power and he wanted recognition. And because of that, he was willing to kill and do whatever it took to get it, to get that power, to get that position, quote unquote, within the church. You know, if there's one thing that, that, that hurt us in our former fellowship, it's when it was all about power and position. Power and position. That, that hurt us in our former fellowship. I'm so fired up about our movement. It's not about power and position. And if it is about position, it's the position of humility. The position of being less than. That, that, that's what's so powerful about all the ministers around the kingdom. I look at Raul Mareño, who leads our church in Brazil. He's just got such a spirit of humility about him. I, I look at Andrew and Patrice Smelly. I mean, they've battled some challenges right there. They're on their way to South Africa to plant the church in South Africa. Jock and Jeanette Grinwald, of course, is going to be leading the remnant group down there. Amen. Andrew and Patrick, she was practicing law, had a great law. I mean, Andrew was on his way to just, dare we say, the corporate world success. He gave it all up for the kingdom of God. Gave it all up for the kingdom of God. You look at all the men that are leading and the women that are leading. There's such a great spirit about them just being willing to, to, to be approachable. It's not about power. It's not about position. And if it is a position, it's the position of humility. That gives me faith in our new movement. That means I can go talk to the leader and they're not gonna, just going to slam me down because it's just, you know, it's just some idea that I'm coming. I'm not, you know, our former fellowship, what is it? you bring something up, all of a sudden you're rebellious. You're arrogant. You're prideful. You're, you're divisive. And yet this is something that's radically changed because we're all just beggars telling each other where to get the bread. Doeg was fighting the battle of power and position. Let me tell you something. 
you always lose that battle. Because there's only one who has the power. His name is Jesus Christ. There's only one position. When you come into contact with Jesus Christ, you fall on your knees and you say, Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow and say, Jesus is Lord. doesn't matter that you haven't become a Christian. You will face the day when you say, Jesus is Lord. I, I was so saddened this week hearing about the man who was just bending over on the train, got hit, hit, hit in the head, and, 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 and died right here in London. Right here in London. Go, wow, was that man a disciple? Was he a disciple? See, if you're not saved and you're not right with God, that's judgment to come. And if you're not right with God, you will not go to heaven. It's just that simple. It's just that very, very simple. It's very, very, very interesting when you start to think about everything that we're called to be as disciples. But there's one thing that we can definitely know we're, we're, we don't have to be. We don't have to have all the power. We don't have to have all the position. We can leave that for Jesus Christ. Chapter 23, amen? The battle of gratefulness. <laughs> Check this out. David now goes to uh, find some people that are from his own background. In verse 1 it says, when David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keliah and are looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go up and attack the Philistines? Now, we got to mark that one down. You always got to make sure you're in prayer before you do anything. David turned to God. He fought the battle of prayer. He didn't just do stuff because it was something you should do. He prayed first. He didn't okay, well, we went to Manchester. I guess we're going to start a church right now. <laughs> okay, let's pray. Well, we got to send out Sweden first. Let's do Sweden first and think about doing Manchester maybe at the end of this year or maybe January. Okay, there you go. That's good, Lord. And that's what the Lord has told him. Maybe we go at the end of this year. Maybe we go January next year. And we plant the church in Manchester. We can do Manchester. It's only two hours away. Well, it's six hours if you drive, but two hours on a train. That's not far. That's awesome. The evangelist and the women's ministry leader, they get in trouble. Two hours, you can come down here and get some discipling. It's awesome. Send you back on up, faithful in the Lord, and we crank out Manchester right there. Are you with me here? The Lord answered him, go and attack the Philistines. Save Kaliah. <laughs> That's what we got to do, guys. We got to go save people. Says, but David's men said to him, here in Judah, we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Kaliah against the Philistine forces? Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, go down to Kaliah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hands. So David and his men went to Kaliah, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Kaliah. Now, Biathar, son of Ahimelech, had brought the ephod down with him, and he fled to David at Kaliah. I mean, David was always having remnant disciples come and join him. Saul was told that David is going down to Kaliah, and he said, God has handed him over to me. For David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. And Saul called up of all his forces for battle to go down to Kaliah to besiege David and his men. When David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod. David said, O Lord, God of Israel, your servant has heard def definitely that Saul plans to come to Kaliah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Kaliah surrender to me or surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, God of Israel, tell your servant. And, God, and the Lord said, he will. Again, David asked, 
Will the citizens of Kaliah surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, they will. That's pretty discouraging. <laughs> you go to fight the battle for someone, you win them, you save them, and are they going to stand up for me? No, they're not. <laughs> yes, Lord, I, I say, nope, you better get out of there. <laughs> they're, they're, they've been, they just, they've not learned to overcome the battle of fear. That's Kaliah. But I see this as the battle for gratefulness. Because if we think about it, the person who won the battle for us is who? Jesus Christ. He won the battle for us. He won it at the cross. Don't worry about the battle being, you know, who's going to win. Say, God's already won. The fight is already fixed. It's already fixed. We don't have to worry Manny Pacquiao or, 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 or Floyd Mayweather right there. If the Lord is Floyd Mayweather, the fight is already fixed. Pacquiao will lose. If the Lord is Pacquiao, the fight has already been fixed. Mayweather will lose. Brothers, don't start fighting with each other over that right there. Amen? But this, it, it dawned on me that the people of Kaliah were from Judah. They were, they were people of they were the, David's descendants. They got afraid to fight the battle and protect David. And it made me go, let me ask myself the question, do, do I respond to the grace of God in the same way? He's won a decisive victory for me at the cross, but I'm afraid to go out and fight the battle for the Lord. I'm afraid to go on a mission team. I'm afraid to give my, my contribution, which really isn't yours. It's God who gave it to you. He's just testing you to see if you give it back to him. I'm afraid to join the movement again, even though I'm, I'm, I'm happy to receive the grace of God and him to save me. But I'm afraid to give all of my heart. I'm afraid to show my faith by my deeds and really show it by gratefulness. Kaliah, there's a battle there. I mean, were they really grateful? Were they really grateful? Were they, were they really in a position where they go, well, David saved us. Let, let's, let's be loyal. and die. If he dies, we die. No, they weren't. They were like, David, thanks for saving us. We'll turn you on in. Let us not be that way with our Lord. Well, we're not willing to fight the battle. The Lord has fought and died with him and died with him. Chapter 24, you guys still with me here? This one's very, very powerful here. This is the battle of deep conviction. Chapter 24. Of course, David spares Saul's life. And the Bible just says in verse 4, it says, Then the men said, This is the day the Lord has spoke, when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands, for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. But guess how he did it and guess when he did it? When Saul was in a cave relieving himself. <laughs> David just creeps on up because Saul goes into a cave to relieve himself, the Bible says. And, and he cuts off a corner of his robe. And you got to be pretty good to do that. <laughs> That's called truly denying yourself. <laughs> and the Bible just says in verse 5, afterward, David was conscious stricken. For having cut off a corner of his robe. I mean, it just, it just, it, 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 it messed up his conscience to do something that was wrong. It, 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 it bothered his mind to do that which was evil. I believe we live in a world that has no conscience of evil. We, we do evil and there's no conscience. It's just everywhere. 
It's wherever you turn. Women dress in a way, and they just have no conscience. You know, my mom used to say, if you're not, if you're not adver advertising anything, you need to take the sign down. That's, that's what my mother used to say to the women in the family. You're not advertising anything? Take the sign down. Take it down. But we live in this world where there's just no, no, no conscience. No conscience of, of, of bad. No conscience of right. No conscience of wrong. It's sad. You go to University College London, and you meet young people that don't believe in evil. And it's interesting. No, you know, when I, when I met that young guy that says, I don't believe in evil, that, that just that scared me. But what's interesting is, you, you, you know, that that's, how, that's how seared the conscience is getting. It's people not believing in right or wrong. Believing you can make it up as you go. Believing that the culture defines it. I don't believe everyone's that way yet because, you know, you go out and you share your faith with people. And most people, they'll debate the existence of, of, of God, but they won't debate the existence of sin. You don't see many people, I don't believe in evil. You may find a few, and that's, how, that's where the world's going. I think we're going to get to a point where nobody believes in good or bad at all. That scares me. As Christians, we've got to fight the battle and continue to say that which is right and that which is wrong. To let the Holy Bible be our standard, not our feelings, not our emotions, and nothing else. We've got to fight the battle of deep conviction. We're going to get here to how it comes home. In verse 8, it says this. Or verse, uh, verse 6, I'm sorry. After David was conscience-stricken, it says, He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. Verse 22. So David gave this oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold, and we stop right there. The battle of deep conviction. Th th this, is, this is intense. David, he has conviction not to curse the Lord's anointed. Now, was Saul in sin? Absolutely. Did he have weaknesses? Absolutely. Did David curse him? No, he did not. Because he understood that God was in control. Do you have deep convictions that in all circumstances, God is in control? Do you have deep convictions that the reason our former fellowship just crumbled is because God was in control? Do you have deep convictions that the reason our former fellowship went to 171 of the 195 nations almost in a generation is because God was in control? got to fight the battle of deep conviction here. Sin is wrong because it's wrong. Sin is wrong because it's wrong. And David fought the battle. This is the reason why he's a man after God's own heart. He, he, he just goes, okay, I, I, I got to make sure I'm, I'm, this is wrong. You know, a lot of our brothers and sisters in our former fellowship, were, they're still my heroes to this day. They're still my heroes. Why? Because the fight isn't over. They could still come back and join us someday. It'd be pretty discouraging if everybody gave up on Peter after he chickened out in front of that girl. Remember that one? It'd be pretty discouraging if everybody gave up on Samson after his eyes had been plucked out and his head shaved off and he was bald. Well, the bald part, amen, but 
You're on your way there, Michael Hart. You're on your way there. I pray they come back and join us. I pray they come back and join us. We've got to have deep convictions that God is always in control. Do you have deep convictions about that in the church? You, you, you see a weakness in your leader. You see a weakness in the person who disciples you, and all of a sudden, God's not in control anymore. You're not conscience-stricken. You don't believe he or she leads you anymore. And yet God has placed that individual in your life. We've got to have and fight the battle of deep conviction. It's not enough to believe something. You've got to have deep conviction. Belief is not enough to save you. Your belief has to be manifest by deeds. If we believe in saving the world, we've got to do everything that it takes to save the world. And, of course, there's always the story of the man who, who, who says, you know, the trickster. He gets a tightrope up there. He stretches it all the way out. And, and this is a true story. And, and, and he stretches this tightrope across this, this big, huge valley. And he gets down on one side, and he gets this crowd of people around him. And uh, as he stretches this tightrope, I mean, it's hundreds of feet down. He could die. He gets up there, and he was kind of a jokester. And he stands on the tightrope, and he looks down, and he says, you, do you believe I can walk all the way across this tightrope? And everybody goes, we believe we believe, we believe. And so he starts walking across the tightrope. He gets right to the middle. He goes like this. Everyone goes, But he makes it all the way across. He doesn't fall down. Everyone just, ah, they're excited. They're, they're, ah, they, people love a show. And so he says, he grabs a wheelbarrow. He goes, do you believe I can take this wheelbarrow and make it all the way across with the wheelbarrow? And everybody goes, we believe we believe, we believe, we believe, we believe. I mean, it gets into cultic right there. This is what we believe. So he goes across with the wheelbarrow, and he gets to the middle. Ooh, and everyone goes, ooh. And he makes it all the way across. And then he looks at the crowd, and he looks at them all in the eye. And he goes, do you believe I can make it all the way across with this wheelbarrow with somebody inside? We believe, we believe. We believe, we believe. And he goes, great, then I need a volunteer. And no one came forward. See, you can honestly believe something, but you don't really believe it unless you're willing to get into the wheelbarrow. You can say amen, but you really believe it when you're willing to put, dare we say, your money where your mouth is. I want to lift up Carlos Vargas. Carlos emailed me. He says, bro, I'm giving my 20 times mission contribution. What, what's the account number? We got to plant Sweden right here. I just go, hey, amen, bro. Yeah, I text him back real quick, connect with the finance team, and yeah, awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But we, we've got to really have fight that battle of deep conviction. What you do shows who you are. What you do shows who you are. And if we are to be the Jerusalem for all of Europe, we got to plant churches all over Europe and fight the battle of deep conviction. Let's get to the last one. One of my favorite heroes in the Bible, she's a woman. Her name is Abigail. This chapter of chapter 25 is all about the battle for relationships. And we've got a battle for our relationships, do we not, church? In chapter 25, th this one is incredible. Uh, Abigail, is, she just sets a high standard for anybody who wants to be a disciple. It just says this here. David gets through the challenge with Saul. He's humble. He falls prostrate. He just is total submission to Saul's poor leadership. Saul's trying to kill him. 
he, he, David passes it. He fights the battle of humility, and he wins. And then he comes to this place here in chapter 25. Verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him at his home in Ramah. First battle David had to fight was the battle of losing a father in the faith. Who's your father in the faith? I talk to all of you brothers that are quote-unquote remnant brothers. I talk to all you sisters that are quote-unquote remnant sisters. Has your mother in the faith died? Has your father in the faith died? I want to challenge you to elect and find a new father in the faith. Stop wandering around just as a kid with no dad. I want to challenge you to find another father, find another mother. As David lost his, this awesome relationship right here, this, this, was, this is huge for us. A lot of us lost relationships. And you know how dad is. Dad is dad and your son. Dad, dad is like, have a seat. <laughs> dad doesn't want to know how you feel about having a seat. He just, have a seat. <laughs> you see what I mean? Now, grandpa's different. Grandpa's like, if you sin, have a seat on my lap. Here's some ice cream. That's not dad. Dad is like, have a seat. No ice cream until you're in. And that's our father. He is father God, not grandpa God. Are you with me there? I challenge you to find yourself a father in the faith. If you have a father in the faith, hey, let's be grateful for our father. Let's be grateful for our mother in the faith. They are still alive and preaching the word of God. Now, I'm so fired up about my father in the faith, Kip McKee. He, he, I don't know if he ever loses energy. He just gets more energy the older he gets. It's from God. Then David moved down into the desert of Mahoim. A certain man in Mahoim who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing at Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. Now, what does Nabal mean? Fool. Abigail's married to a fool. I'll leave that one right there with you. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman. But her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name and say to him, Hey, long life, good health to you. You know, long, you know in your household and good health to all your, that, that's yours. Now I hear that at sheep shearing time, when your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. The whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favor favorable towards my young men, since we have come at festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message and David's, in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servant. Who's David? Who's the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? Wow. Can you imagine? You, you see someone's home, the doors are open. They've got valuable jewels there. You spend all your day. You grab people to just protect this home. The crime scene comes. Police won't let anyone by. You go, what's going on? When you finally get by, you find out a group of Christians has held and protected your house, and then they say, can we get a glass of water? Huh, who are you? Many servants are breaking away from their mat. I mean, that'd be pretty discouraging, wouldn't it? 
That, that, that was the spirit of Nabal. Now you can see why he's a fool. Verse 12. David's men turned around, went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords, and David put on his. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail's wife, or one of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our masters his greeting, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us the whole time we were in the fields near, near them. Nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us all the time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. How'd you like to be in a marriage like that? You're married to someone who's so proud, you can't. How did Abigail know no one could talk to him? Because she tried. <laughs> Abigail fought the battle of loneliness, and she won. And she won. She understood, okay, this is where my husband's at right now. No one can talk to him. <laughs> See, being a good husband has nothing to do with your wife. Being a good wife has nothing to do with your husband. They're connected because the two are one. But you got to be a good husband whether your wife's a good wife. you got to be a good wife whether your husband's a good husband. We learned that from Abigail. And sometimes that's a lonely battle. But she won. She fought it and she won. Married to a rich fool. And she still was wise, beautiful, spiritual. And she even gives David counsel. Verse 18. Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seeds of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them in donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband. Wow, she was wise there. As she came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending towards her. And she met him. David had, David had just said, it's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He paid me back evil for good. We stop right there. Grudges. The battle of grudges. David had a grudge. Isn't it interesting? He just gets through overcoming Saul, and then right after, boom, he, fa he falls victim to Nabal. From Saul to Nabal. <laughs> he got a grudge. You got a grudge. What is a grudge? A persistent feeling of ill will or resentment resulting from a past insult or injury. Grudges are wrong. Grudges are bad. We can't hold on to grudges. The book of Leviticus in chapter 19, verse 18 says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You know, one of the things that hurts, can hurt a disciple is a grudge. It can hurt a Christian. Th this can hurt you wanting to join God's movement again. You've got a grudge. You've, you've got a persistent feeling of ill will or resentment resulting from past insult or injury. Let me, let me give you a, a, a something that maybe you've never heard. Pain is a part of Christianity. It, it shouldn't be all pain. 
but it's a part of Christianity. We think somehow you become a Christian, all the pain is gone. I'm a Christian now, I'm in heaven. No, you're on earth, and there's a lot of stuff down here that causes pain. And in the moment we get hurt, I've been hurt. Now I'm justified to carry a grudge around and not trust anybody. How can you love your brother whom you don't, who you see? And how can you love God who you don't see and, and not love your brother whom you see? If you have a grudge, you are not in love with God. That's the issue. I know about grudges. I've had them all my life. I had to kick them off my shoulder. I was abandoned at the age of 14. I was told at 12 years old, my father is not my father. I got all kinds of reasons. You want to talk about grudges? You've had some challenges in your life? Please talk to me. I figured out how to stop having and carrying a grudge, and it's helped me. It's helped me. It's helped me to go, I got to fight that battle on a daily basis. Abigail's awesome. She didn't get a grudge. She's married to a fool and didn't have a grudge. I mean, this preaches in the marriage, doesn't it? I know none of us married brothers or sisters have any grudges. I mean, I know none of the sisters coming into Women's Day, coming in that plane, come landing right into Women's Day. There's no way you got a grudge. He didn't pick up the clothes. There's no grudges there. He doesn't do the dish. There's no grudges there. He didn't tell me how beautiful I was. There's no grudges there. No, there's no grudges there. Why? Because we fight the battle of the grudge. The world gets sucked into it. That's why it's a 50% divorce rate. People, are, people aren't committed in this world. They get married until death do your part, and as soon as they get hurt, they get a grudge and they divorce. I'm not making fun. I'm just saying we got to be the examples, guys. We've got to fight grudges. David, David had a grudge. And look at verse 25. Look what she says. Well, verse 24. She fell at his feet and said, my Lord, let the blame be on me. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Man, goodness, she fought the battle of how to talk to people. And she won. She was good at talking to David. You know, we live in a world where, where especially as disciples, we've got to figure out how to talk to people. There's a certain way you talk to people, especially a, a brother. You talk to a brother a certain way. We're already born prideful. Our pride just goes up. But, man, if you, you got that spirit like Abigail, that little sweet spirit, and she just fell on her knees, and it's my fault. And wow, David just was like, I'm insane. I'll say for the sisters and the Women's Day coming on up, I, I know the Women's Day is going to be an amazing time. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be encouraging. Anu's going to be preaching the word. Our sister Jeanette's going to be sharing right there. She's in the back. She's all modest. Talking about God being her X factor. But, you know, as Christians, we've got to learn how to talk to one another. Are you someone who's known for being an encourager? You just know how to talk to your brothers, talk to your sisters, talk to your husband, talk to your wife in a way that makes their heart melt. Abigail, she just there's so many lessons to learn from her. You can build a church off just this woman's interaction. How she dealt with the evil, how she talked to David. She is an incredible example. And I, I, I love that God used this woman to say some things about how we ought to be as Christians. And I think it's appropriate heading into Women's Day. Let's come in for a close. Verse 27. She says, Let this gift which your servant has bought, brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make 
a lasting dynasty for my master because he fights the Lord's battle. And that's where we get the title of our lesson. Fighting the Lord's battle. Verse 32, David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. David was not so insecure that a woman couldn't tell him some things about his life. And we are not insecure like that as well, right, brothers? We don't, we, we're not insecure. We, we don't get offended because a sister has come and said, hey, bro. <laughs> I was waiting for the brothers to say amen. I'm still waiting for a few more brothers to say amen. Okay, some of you fought that one right there. That's the wrong battle. <laughs> we need to be okay. Trust me. Every, once every other week, I got somebody, bro, I got something to say to you. <laughs> I love when the sisters talk to me because it helps me. I go, okay. I, I got to be sensitive. I can be insensitive sometimes. And it's great having Christian women that go, mm, 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 I don't love that one. And it's awesome. It's good for me. Keeps me, keeps me in the right place. Right? And we, we as men are, are fired up about that. And we as women, we're very sensitive in how we talk to our, to, we, we show respect. We don't take over the leadership role. We don't come in, oh, let me tell you something. I'm an independent woman. No, no, it's not an independent women's day coming on up. It's, it's a Christian women's day coming on up right there. Are you with me here? <laughs> we end here in chapter 25, but I just want to persuade you today. As Christians, number one, we got to take correction well. I mean, David took correction very well. He took it well. Uh, he even talks about this account in Psalm chapter 145, verse 5. Um, many battles he overcame right here. Uh, and when you, when, you, when you fight the Lord's battle, you're always going to win. I want to persuade you today to fight the battle of grace. Grace always wins. I'm not talking about tolerating sin, but having a heart of grace. Grace always wins. Fight the battle of forgiveness. Don't have a grudge. Forgiveness always wins. Fight that battle. Fight the battle of deep conviction. Deep conviction. I didn't reference it, but Jonathan is seen with David one last time. I think it's chapter 24, 23, 24. He's seen with David. He goes and gives David strength, but then you don't hear from Jonathan ever again. Why? Because he didn't have deep convictions that conviction supersedes relationship. The next time you hear from Jonathan, he gets killed. You need to be weary of the person that's your good friend but doesn't want to join you. Because Jonathan never joined David. You gotta fight deep conviction. Abigail, she fought the battle of persuasive speech. She was a good talker. She knew how to do it. We gotta be persuasive as Christians. She fought the battle of past regret. Why did I marry this fool? She didn't play that tape in her head. She probably was forced to marry him too at a young age. They had that back then. To choose your 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 husband. She fought that battle and won. She won it. She didn't she didn't lose the battle of regret. She fought the battle of prayer. She fought the battle of loneliness. David fought the battle of humility. And humility always wins. Let's fight these battles, guys. Let's, let's, let's hit our 20 times and some. Let's come up with an, enough money where you go, maybe we can do Manchester at the end of this year. Wouldn't that be awesome? London did Sweden and Manchester in one year. 
And they're fired up. They're not in the cave of Adam all bitter and discontent about it. They're fired up about it. You know, I just want to close with a couple. I'm, I'm so fired up because they've been fighting these battles all their lives. Anita and Renee Vermont. I talked to Renee this morning. I said, bro, your humility, I didn't get a chance to talk to your lovely wife. She's, an, she's got an incredible voice. I said, you know, you, you guys have, you, you, you were shepherds in our former fellowship. I, I want you to be shepherds in training here in London. I want you to be shepherds in training here in London. And Renee just overwhelmed with you. He just, he just, you know, just humble. Just humble. What a great example. I love you all. Let's fight the Lord's battle. And to God be all the glory. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events, or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one.